SSTUWA members are strongly encouraged to register for the range of industrial and professional courses available face-to-face or online. Find these courses online via sstuwa.org.au slash training. Hello and welcome to Western Teacher Live, the podcast of the State School Teachers Union of Western Australia. My guests today are the SSTUWA President, Matt Jarman, and Lindsay Hale, our educator, former principal, and former senior public servant who the union has brought on board to uh, move forward with the Facing the Facts report. And we're here to talk about where we go with Facing the Facts, because I know many of you out there will be sitting back and taking that awful, cynical, but understandable view of, look, here's another lovely report. It's going to go on a bookshelf and never be seen again. So, Matt, we might start with you. Why is Lindsay on board with the SSTUWA? And why will Facing the Facts not become just another report to sit on a library shelf? Thank you, Bob. Well, I think we should go back to where Facing the Facts uh, came from. It was... Uh, put to executive and to the membership that we needed to make sure that the views and the frustration and the voice of the membership should be heard. So we took to commissioning an independent review and this is the outcome of that independent review and now obviously the next step is to make sure that our members' voice is heard once again in terms of what the report says and that is part of what uh, Lindsay has been asked uh, or is challenged by. Uh, at least initially, and we'll get those views together and then we'll develop a strategy and we'll see where the report ultimately lands in two or three years' time from now. And uh, Dr Carmen Lawrence and her team, Dr Scott Fitzgerald, Colin Pettit, Dr Robin White and the Executive Officer Pam Pollard, of course, came up with a very full and extensive report, 46 recommendations. Lindsay, you've got a lot to plough through. Yeah, I think... um, uh, Thanks, Bob. Yeah, I think that's... uh, one of the important things to <clears throat> note straight off is that um, the, p- perhaps the greatest strength of this report is also providing us all with quite a challenge, and that is that it is um, it is so uh, thorough, comprehensive, and I have to say quite long, um, and goes into great great depth. And so, for um, people in our busy lives to be able to distill out of that the key messages and understandings we need. I think it's going to take a while, so that's a bit of our, our job is to help people to do that. And, of course, we have to do do it ourselves. I think um, one of the things I'd just like to mention before we go uh, too much further into what we might do next is this. I think it is a very powerful document. And, uh, of course, the union uh, will have to come to its own position on how it views each of those uh, independently formed uh, recommendations. But what I think is really important to notice is note is that this massive report is the product of an extraordinary amount of consultation, particularly with teachers and school leaders, and their voice is given primacy throughout. But it's not just about that. It also goes very thoroughly into... um, academic research, extensive reference of recent documentation and and the sort of chronology of change that's occurred. So it actually cites over 120 references and of those about 70 are academic papers. So yes, there is the voice of teachers and school leaders, but this isn't just opinion. This is actually uh, very objective and well-based in research. And I might just say on that subject of changes, there are actually three appendices 
that cover off on uh, the changes that have occurred over roughly the last 10 years. So you know, it uh, refers to uh, legislation and policy, uh, things in particular in relation to IPS and things in particular related to curriculum assessment and reporting. It only hits the, those in, in just a list of what they actually are, no detail, and yet it's 13 pages worth of change that school leaders and teachers have borne the brunt of over that 10 year period. And as Carmen Lawrence said when she was in here a few weeks ago, one of the things with that is that those pages and pages of changes have often been done with no consultation and with two separate bodies almost, the sector and the government, working in parallel and very rarely coming across each other's uh, radar when they're making those sorts of decisions. Obviously the government imposing a lot of stuff, some of it's ideological, some of it's based around finance or whatever. Uh, Matt, how important is it then to, to get people at the table? Uh, it seemed incredibly significant that the Minister for Education, Tony Booty, uh, came to the launch of Facing the Facts. He accepted the report in person and he spoke in person, which would suggest that the government is at least aware of, of the impact that this report has had across the sector thus far. Oh, that's correct. I think it's also measured by the number of other MPs who uh, not only attended the release or the launch date on that Monday, uh, the 6th uh, of November, but probably just as much as we've received in the office uh, in terms of inquiries from uh, organisations who submitted and are pleased with uh, how they've recognised their voice in the report and the number of um, MPs starting to accept uh, meetings directly with me or other members of the senior office officer team. Uh, we are going to try to speak to as many people as we can before Christmas and then we'll recommence um, that consultation process at the beginning of next year because education is across uh, so many different members uh, and groups within the community. The political party aside, this is about education and, and the goals that are reflected in facing the facts, are they know no faction, they are for everybody. So it's really very important that we speak to anyone who wishes to engage in a conversation and we will, we will seek to do that. Of course, having the minister there to accept the report and speak to the report, albeit briefly, uh, was extremely pleasing for senior officers, but more importantly than that, perhaps, is going to be the immediate response from the Minister um, or the Department of Education. This is not a report, as you mentioned in your opening remark, which we are going to allow to sit on the shelf and become one of others. This is uh, an extraordinary report, and, and in effect, this is the moment that um, our members have been frustratingly waiting for. Uh, so we are now... Um, poising ourselves through that communication with other members of parliament, uh, community organisations and other voice to uh, articulate and share and discuss what the priorities of the report are and, uh, and, and then a strategy obviously uh, to put them into place uh, as soon as we can for students and uh, teachers and our public education system and, and really the sooner the better with many of those recommendations. And Lindsay, you listen to all of that and you're thinking, I'm glad Lindsay's got this job and not somebody else, certainly not me. But So how do you begin? Well, yeah, look, I think uh, the first thing is we need to make sure we have ourselves a deep understanding of the report and come to a good understanding of what uh, the position the union wants to take is. We also need to, and we've started, we've already started in a number of, uh, a number of forums, uh, having the conversations with others to make sure, particularly for a start, um, 
our own members of the union have a, have a good understanding of the report, but we also will go back, progressively go back to all of those uh, groups that um, provided input uh, into the review and uh, explain what our developing position and thinking is and uh, seek to continue the conversation with them. And obviously uh, part of that is to harness their support to, as Matt says, make sure that we don't just end up with a, a dusty book on a shelf, but that we do have, um, we build and maintain momentum for change. And is there a time frame for that? I, I mean, this is, if you did one recommendation a week, you're a year away from... You know, and it's going to take a lot longer than that to make decisions. So is there a time frame in your mind or do we, well, do we go for low-hanging fruit, to use a cliche? Well, I think we're at the beginnings of a, of a process and we do have to acknowledge this could be, um, this could be a, a reform process that could occur over a few years. But before we get to that, we have to, I think, just remember that what the union's essentially done here by seeking to uh, have an independent review um, occur and then make that public is really invite others, including government, Department of Education, community and others, um, invite them to join us. But we're saying, look, w surely we can all see we've got a problem. The union wants to make a contribution to, to taking some real solutions, practical solutions forward. Um, so one of the things we need, one of the things we're looking for is a response from government and departments so we can work out how, you know, are they prepared to work with us on this and how will we go forward? Um, and meanwhile, we are working on looking through the report, for instance, to see, well, what are the, what, th there are such a range of um, uh, recommendations, a number of them, at least around 9, 10, 11, would require no additional resources that the, the, the system could actually respond to within existing resources and really don't require much to enact other than a decision and, and a stroke of the pen to say, this is what we're going to do. Um, so, you know, for, uh, to give you an, an example, simply a commitment that in future, the past practice of embarking on massive change programs without proper review and evaluation that that should cease and there should be a commitment that any new change program that occurs should be consultative and it should include an evaluation plan and a monitoring plan so that we don't wait till the well down the track as we see now with IPS. All these years on, we see a lot of the outcomes that perhaps weren't what was intended, um, but no proper assessment really being made, even though we have a review that shows us a whole raft of things that are, we now have a system that's not working the way anybody, I would imagine, would want it to work. And the difficulty of that, I guess, is there have been reviews of the IPS, none of them, to be honest, have been favourable. Um, the difficulty, Matt, is then moving on to that and getting getting solid change and, and, and indeed dealing with the conflicts that can arise, because some of our members will actually like some elements of IPS. And I think one of the things the union's been trying to make clear is they're not talking about scrapping the IPS, even though there's another set of members who might well welcome that and be out cheering on the streets. But it, it, it's a more political, um, re politically realistic approach that the unions take in looking at changes where changes are needed, not just scrapping the whole thing. Now, today, the Facing the Facts report has, as Lindsay just mentioned, has been one that has listened to and processed the voice that we've received. So clearly, when we go forward, 
whether it be on a matter of IPS or any of the other recommendations that's in the report, we need to listen to what the membership has to say around that and also what the community has to say around that. And the report on that particular account quite intelligently states, let's review IPS. That's all it says. There's two or three pages of fantastic writing there of research-based objective statement around why we should be reviewing IPS. But at no point in time has the union turned around and said it needs to be scrapped. What we have turned around and said is we need it to be reviewed and we agree with the recommendation. In, in a, not a yes minister way, but in a genuine way, it was a courageous decision by the union. So go do this review. We're going to take your recommendations. We're not going to edit them. They're going to be independently designed and released. Um, so, so that was a, a conscious decision by the union, which does give this broad basis for a conversation, not a set of out predetermined outcomes. We were frustrated that our voice and what our membership were clearly saying, and that was through state of our, state of our school survey data as well, wasn't being listened to. And certainly the changes weren't happening, and certainly things seemed to be getting worse to worse to worse. So the independently commissioned report became something of a risk because we were asking other people to now validate exactly what we were seeing or what we were being told. And of course, what the result of all of that external validation and that report is that what our members had been saying for three or four years prior to the commissioning of the report had been happening, it had been building up, and that's why we have the teacher and the school leader shortage. That's why we have all of these other problems because the voice was being ignored. Facing the Facts is an independently authored voice and now our job is to make sure that it is translated into action with the same people who were that voice, whether they be members, community organisations or others. Uh, and that comes back to the tone of the report as well, Bob, and that is that it's, a, it's not a blame um, statement. It, we aren't looking backwards, which is, an, again, a courageous position for the union, I think, to consider. But we are saying let's move forward and let's move forward together. We will work in partnership with whoever has the same, same um, investment in public education as what we do. That's good to hear. And, 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 of course, it wouldn't happen in Western Australia, particularly not in education, but it's been known for reports to be commissioned and big reviews to be held, and then they vanish because the people who commissioned reviews didn't like the outcomes, so I'm sure that wouldn't happen locally. Um, but one hopes then, as you move forward, Lindsay, you've talked about going back to member groups and to those who made submissions. Has that process begun? Who have you had a chat with so far? Yeah, so, um, look, we're right at the, the very start of that at the moment, and we, um, as recently as last week, had a conversation uh, brought together a number of metropolitan uh, school leaders. Uh, we'll be doing a similar thing um, as soon as we can for um, be online for uh, our regional um, school leaders, and we will progressively uh, get out to as many folks as we can. Of course, we uh, do have a bit of a timing issue. We're you know in one of the busiest times in the school year, so we're um, not going to be demanding too much of people between now and the end of the year. We'll um, uh, so our work really is planning in preparation largely for how we'll tackle this in the new year, when people have had a chance to perhaps have a look at the report. Have a good holiday over the, the summer, uh, recover, 
from the year, and then we will um, progressively um, intensify the, the, the um, ongoing consultation and discussion early in the new year. I might just add on that point about about workload. Um, that's one of the cores of the report. So we we, we actually um, and we we recognise that, and I think we're all very acutely aware that the volume of work and the complexity of that um, workload that people are now facing has put them at breaking point. So there's two things about that. One is we don't want to contribute to it <laughs> getting worse, and the other is um, that really has to colour. You know, we're on the we're on the verge of a system that breaking because the people are being broken. And they're being broken through this massive, um, massive workload pressure, massive um, ongoing change, greater complexity in the world that we live in and the people we have to deal with, particularly children and young people. And on top of that, this has all occurred in a time where we have had, in public education, cut after cut after cut in expenditure, which means there haven't been the resources, there is not the support. At the moment, there is not even decent pay. So... This is really core to saying we've, we're at the, right at the brink here with our public education system. We're struggling to get, everybody knows, we're struggling to keep people in, as teachers and school leaders. We're seeing people leave or we're seeing them go part-time because that's the only way they can cope. And we're seeing it harder and harder to entice people to see that this is a profession they want to engage in. And it's just very lucky for us so far that there are still so many good people who are hanging in there. And I just make the point that I think we owe it to them, we owe it to the, the kids that they serve and the broader community to actually act on this report and encourage others to act on this report and do something about it. Uh, absolutely. And it was moving at the recent State Council. Teacher members were saying that they were in tears. Um, reading the report and hearing the the, the report um, because it spoke to them and they felt at last they were being listened to, which is very significant. Now, we're very conscious about that workload and not adding to it. So if you're listening, member or non-member, you can see the full report and it is a a long read um, on our website. You can also see a summary. So you can go through each of the 46 recommendations and then go back to the main document for the ones you're particularly interested in. And the other way to get an overview is we have got a podcast with... um, Carmen Lawrence and Colin Pettit, and uh, that's already up on our website, sstuwa.org.au, and you can listen in 15-minute, three 15-minute segments there, and they break down the report really well over that period. Um, So we do encourage you to do that. Um, Matt, the other issues that are coming, and Lindsay's just referenced them, you're talking about salaries, uh, we're talking about funding, and, and it really is, it appears to be coming to a a real point of, of no return here for schools. At the national level, we've got the National Schooling Resource Agreement negotiations and reports that are going on. Um, the AU recently letting uh, Adam Rorris, uh, letting out an Adam Rorris report which talks about the Im- immense dr- gap in funding between what state schools get and what they need. Uh, and you've also got the state government talking about their wages policy. Uh, this really is reaching a bit of an apex, isn't it, where those three things, the review, the salaries and the overall funding, need to come together to fix the system? Yeah, an apex or a cliff. Um, I, I think, uh, yes, it has been a very busy year, Bob, and, and thank you for reminding me of that. Uh, I guess what I like to keep you cheerful. <laughs> I guess what you're outlining there is if uh, government wishes, whether that be state and federal, to address public education, 
now is an opportunity for them to do that. Uh, the gap that you're talking about between private and public schools between 2023 and 2028 is $39 billion more than they need to receive. That is more than what the public school system will receive. And of course, closing that gap presents opportunity to address many of the matters that's in facing the facts. So yes, we need the state government to sign an agreement where it fully funds its 75%, and we need the federal government to increase its funding mechanism from 20 to 25. That puts us back at 100%, which is the minimum of what private schools in this country receive, and that would put about $230 million in 2023 alone back into the West Australian public education system that could be used towards what these recommendations are about. Now, the EBA timeline uh, is of its own being. It is separate to this independently commissioned report. I agree with Lindsay. I think that this piece of work is going to run for two to three years. We are committed to it. That's what I'd like all of our members to understand. We are fully committed to working with them and the community on, on dropping as much of this as we possibly can. But certainly we think that the state and federal government, if they have uh, a significant responsibility and they want to own that responsibility to public education, they have that set of opportunities in front of them between now and, and over the next 18 months. And of course, um, we are approaching that very busy time of the year at schools. There were lots of, of state and federal MPs come along to assemblies and, and um, want to share in the joys and successes of their local schools, as indeed they should. Um, and you can be assured every state and federal MP in WA is going to be sent a physical copy of the um, Facing the Facts report, as well as they've all been invited to the, the launch back in the day. Many attended. So be, be happy to, to get yourself educated about the report. Ask your local MP to read Facing the Facts and engage with them politely about this, the, the really the importance of funding of uh, proper salaries for teachers and uh, of uh, enacting some of those face-in-the-facts findings. Um, and, and that's going to be really important. When they come along to those assemblies, they can be reminded that the gap works out at about $1,800 per student in that school. So for my school, that's about $800,000 we're missing out on in this calendar year. So you could ask that MP if we were receiving that $1,800, and for some of our big secondary schools, that is literally millions and millions of dollars per annum, what our school would look like if we were receiving that $800,000 or that $6 million in our recurrent funding every year that we're being denied because of this funding agreement. It needs to go. We need to get to 100%, and that's what the MP is there for. And just, remind, just a reminder, $1,800 per child in every school, in every electorate in Western Australia, both federal and state. So really important to remember. Uh, Lindsay, you, you've got a long task ahead of you. Are you optimistic it's going to go well? Look, I, I think we have to be optimistic. And I think that's one of the really interesting things about the review. And, and frankly, if I wasn't optimistic, I wouldn't have taken on the job. So I didn't come here to fail. Um, so look, I am optimistic. And that is based on the fact that the review... Um, is, look, it paints quite a grim picture. There's no doubt about that. But it also does provide hope because it not only says here are a whole raft of issues, it makes practical suggestions about what we might do about them together. And, you know, some of them um, 
will probably require some modification. Some of them will probably require some discussion about, yeah, we, we think that's a good idea provided something else happens along the way, provided it's properly supported and so on. Um, but I think there is every reason to be optimistic, uh, provided we have the, the government and the department um, accept this invitation, um, that we could all go forward together and find a better way for the system to go forward. Well, let's hope they do. You've been listening to Western Teacher Live, the podcast of the State School Teachers Union of Western Australia. I'd like to thank uh, my guests, Matt Jarman and Lindsay Howell, for joining us, and above all, for you for listening. And then just remember, $800, every child, every school, um, face the facts and let's help fix education. Thank you all for listening. Western Teacher Live, cutting through noise on public education and union issues. 